Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This is the silent nightmare for us marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. And the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can see how Ashby does it right now on Apollo's site. Marketers using Apollo have seen email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over right now to apollo.io slash exit5 and start using it completely free. That's apollo.io slash exit5. You can start using the tool completely free. You don't even need a credit card to get started. Go and check them out. Apollo.io slash exit5. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by my friends at Metadata. Yes, they're my friends. I'm working with them right now. Hey, Metadata, what's up? Metadata helps demand gen marketers automate paid campaigns and drive more revenue. If you work in demand gen, you know how running paid campaigns can create so many technical, mundane, and repetitive tasks. You got 17 tabs open in your browser, more like 170. You're jumping from LinkedIn to Google to Facebook. Plus there's all the audience creation, creative and testing variations. It can be an entire job just to keep track of this stuff and make sure it all is running properly. And with humans doing it, there's bound to be a lot of wasted time and potential for mistakes and missed opportunities. Through AI and automation, metadata frees you from having to manually do these tasks so you can spend your time on the work that matters most, strategy, creativity, and the experimentation. Demand gen teams use metadata to execute hundreds of campaigns without ever logging into ad managers, automatically monitoring their campaigns and optimizing for pipeline and revenue, and drastically scaling their performance before needing to hire more people or hire an agency. In the last two years, Metadata has automated 92,000 campaigns and influenced over $2 billion in pipeline for customers like Zoom, Ramp, Pendo, and ThoughtSpot. ThoughtSpot generated $5 million in pipeline in their first few months at a 1 to 6 spend to pipeline ratio. There's a stat right there. Write that one down. That's a stat that will get you promoted. If you're a demand gen marketer and you're running paid campaigns today, you really should consider using metadata. You can learn more about how the metadata team can help you do humanly impossible marketing at metadata.io. That's metadata.io. And make sure you tell them that you heard about them right here on the Exit 5 podcast. One, two, three, four. Exit 5. My guest on this episode is Kaylee Edmondson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Exit 5 podcast. My guest on this episode is Kaylee Edmondson. She is director of demand gen at Brightwheel. All right. You and I were just catching up. It's great to catch up with you. You have a new role now. I think a lot of people listening will know you from Chili Piper. You have a new role now at Brightwheel. I want to talk to you about both of those things. So first, let's go back to Chili Piper. Can you just give some context of like when you joined the company, what the stage of the, where they were at when you joined all the way to when you left? Let's frame it with that and then we'll go in and I have a bunch of follow-ups on that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so I joined April 2020. So literally like accepted my offer right as the world was changing, which was wild, but exciting. At the time they were post-Series A, they had a CMO in place. It was their first marketing leader, first like full-time marketing hire. They had a CMO in place, hired me to run the demand gen function, which at the time was like completely untested new waters for them. They had a content head and a PMM, a product marketing manager. And that was the crew. So pretty lean, pretty light. Wait, let's, um, stop, let's stop there for a second. So they had grown without demand gen. What Without marketing, let's say that without marketing. So purely outbound sales, cold calling, grinding, which was insane. At that time, they'd been around for three years, almost four years, no marketing function in place. Hmm. And I remember actually in like one of my first company all hands, Nicholas, who's the co-founder and CEO had actually said, 
I guess it wasn't one of my first, maybe it was like three months in, like, wow, I think we've actually hired in a crew that can figure out how to make marketing work for Chili Piper. They were completely convinced that marketing wouldn't work for that brand just because they hadn't ever found a way to make it work before. Interesting. What do you think led to that belief? What didn't work? Because like, I think you see it on the surface, it's like it's a B2B SaaS tool. There's literally 10,000 of them. I've seen marketing work at a bunch of different companies. What Were there specific beliefs there? Yeah, I think there were specific beliefs. I think one, the CEO comes from a sales background. So he's like, I understand sales. I know sales, like the depth and breadth of all the things that we should be trying or should be standing up. Obviously, Chili Piper itself, the way the product works, creates lack of a need for an inbound SDR role. So he was just like very into operationalizing and questioning the status quo for how you should run and operate a sales motion. And with that came a really deep love and passion for growing a scalable outbound motion. And that was the priority for the first couple of years for the company. Then when growth had not doubled or tripled one year, he was like, oh, Mm, pull up. Maybe this is the time we should start looking at adding a marketing team, which is when we all started joining. So we all joined within maybe like a three-month stint between January to, I guess, four months, January to April of 2020. And that's when Nicholas was like, oh, mm, okay, let's see if we can like pull a marketing lever to make this work. They had had like ad hoc contractors or freelancers in and out for short random stints on like a project basis before we started joining. And I think that they didn't see a huge, you know, hockey stick up and to the right, which is just the, oh, it doesn't work. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's tough, like being in that, which most people are in this, in this, I guess, but like being in that like venture back SaaS world, it's like you could grow 125%, 150% in a year or whatever. It's not enough. You got to, you know, triple, triple, double, double. And so it's like, it's, it can be a crazy place to be. Exactly. You come into run demand gen. What do you do? You come in, the company's got a little bit of a brand, they have revenue, they have customers. Take me into like you joining and figuring out like, because I think this is a big question for a lot of, what does it mean to do demand gen? Let's talk tactically about like, what did you come in and do? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it's all about understanding at least what little they already know about themselves, right? So they had HubSpot at the time, which was great. They had HubSpot for their MA and Salesforce for their CRM. So obviously getting access and diving through what data they did have, all data comes with caveats, like no SaaS company is like the exception there. So understanding their caveats, understanding gaps in data, figuring out at least surface level, like what has worked for them, where traffic is flowing today, all those things is like ground zero. Obviously they had some operational improvements that happened like within marketing ops, which for the longest majority rolled under me, which was just me. Um, so I started with like a marketing ops brain almost just understanding like, hey, all of our data and all of our systems aren't really talking to each other at all points. Like GTM isn't really set up. We don't have triggers firing. There aren't accurate tags, all of that, right? Before I can even go do anything, I need like a decent, like, I don't even think that I'm asking for like the moon, but just like decent foundational structure sure. so that we can see early signals on if things are hitting or not hitting. So step one. Wait, step let's stop, stop there for a second. I've changed my opinion on this. Like I used to be like, oh, just come in and like do shit. But now it's like, oh no, I've seen twice through mistakes that I've made. Like, oh, the value in like, yeah, you you do need to have, it doesn't have to be, I think that the part that gets hard though is like people go after this quest for like the perfect funnel. Like, okay, let's go from having no demand gen to like this perfect revenue funnel. And I used to be like, let's just go fast. But now you 100%, you have to have everything set up. You have to be able to track that. But can you just talk about like, how do you shrink that down and, and pick? Because you, you can't come in and as the new head of demand gen or whatever you were and spend six months trying to measure the funnel. You, you got to come in and like actually do yeah. some things. So did you shrink that down and like ship an MVP of the funnel or something? Oh, for sure. For sure. And I think like, I mean, I literally posted a thing today about like attribution is fake. It's literally made up, which I do believe, but I think you can at least draw some like high level, like directional insights from data and attribution for whatever it's worth. So the great thing about HubSpot is that it's like really out of the box. It comes with those six like direct fields, three that track first touch, three that touch like track last touch on like a dynamic basis. So like baseline workflows will help get you to where you need to go, leveraging those six fields. Like first touch, last touch view is really all you need to get an early indicator of like, this is what's getting people into our database and this is what's getting them over to sales. But boop, make sure all of those six fields are syncing in through Salesforce to like your lead object, your contact object, your opportunity object, all of those things, and you're done. That's like less than half a day of work. 
build some initial like quick and scrappy reports that show you first touch view, last touch view over whatever period of time you feel is like roughly accurate, everything's going to have caveats. That's why I think it's important to like touch base with the people around you to figure out like, oh, hey, you know, in January, we didn't really know what we were doing. So like we turned HubSpot off for a while. So like anything before January, 2020, don't look there. Cool. Great. Build a report January, 2020 forward and say, that's my source of truth for now. It should give you high level enough to be like, oh, LinkedIn's really working for us. Or LinkedIn organic is like the thing. What are we doing here? What can we do more of? directionally and then just like don't marry yourself to it just know that that's your thing run love it that was so good there's so many truths in there which is like i like how you talk about that's a really good framework which is like you're not arguing over if first touch or last touch should be the attribution model for the company right. you're using them both because you're just going to look and say like hey of the last 100 customers or, or whatever of, of every customer that we closed last month or last quarter show me first touch last touch on those so oh oh interesting it seems like a lot of people read our content oh interesting it seems like this thing drives a lot of conversions then you layer that on with talking to other people this is where like a lot of people miss the strategy stuff it's like attribution is great but attribution doesn't give you what you need to stand up in front of the company and articulate a marketing strategy and so now you've gone and done all your research and now you're like okay hi i'm kaylee i have a hypothesis on how i think we should go and do marketing now it's not some magic numbers like this attribution report told you you know six <laughs> and, and you go do that you have to be able to articulate the strategy right Exactly, exactly. And I think that that gives you good enough insight to run, right? Stand up in front of your peers and say, like, with some level of conviction, these are the things I believe in. Let's go run. Let's ship a couple MVPs across the board to figure out if we can, like, either fail fast and like, oh, okay, that's not the right path, moving on to the next one. Or maybe we find three winners in there that we really weren't, like, pushing for before. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned uh, talk to others to, like, throw out the data sources when... Uh... When I had joined Privy, we had been like doing this initial dive into what, you know, and, and the company had existed for a while. So there was a lot of data. Some of it was very tra trapped and hard to find, which we realized. But there was like traffic was like 50%, like hundreds of thousands of page views lower than it was because of some like referral button that they decided to change. And so it's like a perfect example where we would have thought that that was inflated by by a lot. Okay, so you come in, you do this initial assessment, you get something in the funnel working, you stand up in front of the team. And then what? Like you talked about shipping some of these MVPs. So you made your assessment of the data. What were some of the early things that you did? Give me some examples of like these MVPs that you ship to start kind of building demand at Chili Piper? Yeah. So I think there are definitely long-term plays and like short-term wins everywhere, no matter what your like history or your baggage is that you're trying to uncover when you're starting on a new org. And for us, like quick-term win was definitely standing up paid programming. So they had dabbled in it before. They'd had an agency at the time, but like nothing was really like quote unquote working. And it's because this agency was so disconnected from like who our buyers were, who our customer was. So I will say like I, the grass is greener or whatever. I had a good opportunity because our primary buyer at Chili Piper is demand gen marketers, which is great for me because I understand these people. I have the same pain points. So it was really easy for me to dig deep and understand like, wow, this messaging is really terrible. That's why this ad isn't working. Or like, wow, this seems really canned or like inauthentic. Like, what are we trying to get these people to do? Why are we not providing any value in this ad? Like, there's so many directions we could go with just with that. But standing up, like capturing existing demand on Google ads, we weren't doing it. Um, we weren't doing it well at all. They were bidding on like top of funnel and middle funnel keywords and weren't optimizing for bottle, bottom of funnel keywords where people are actually showing intent to buy. So step one, that's easy, low hanging fruit. Step what, two, what were you driving to, by the way, like, can you just give context, context, context of the funnel? <laughs> Like, were you driving to book a demo? What, what yeah, was the... yeah, yeah. So like capturing demand on Google ads, definitely driving them to get a demo all day. And yeah, leading them to a page that's simple, not a lot of distractions, all the things, like all those best practices just weren't happening. So yeah, we just needed to operationalize and make sure that one, we're even surfacing on all like buying intent keywords. So like all the variations of like software, app, tool, solution, pricing, all competitor tags, right? There are a lot of competitors in that space that were like adjacent to us. So like, let's make sure we're showing up when people are trying to, you know, or are showing frustration, like Calendly support or whatever, right? Like we should probably be there. All of those things were just like low hanging fruit. So we needed to make sure we were showing up there, getting them to a page that's customized for whatever it is they're searching, not a one size fits all landing page solution, 
or else your conversion rates are going to be shit. How do you do that? Customize your landing page. Oh, build yourself just like a good MVP. That's like, here are the body of work that I need on each section. And then clone that thing for every campaign initiative that you set up within your Google ads. Customize your H1 and your H2. The rest of it should really be supportive. So like you need a social proof, you need some testimony, you need your value props. Those should relatively be the same on all. So really the body of work is just that above the fold hero to make sure that it's customized and tailored to whatever the thing is they just clicked on. But you're talking about like, not just like three variations, you're talking about like 50 variations of a landing page. Depends on how many ad campaigns you have running in Google, right? For us in the beginning stages, it wasn't that many, right? Like we had a competitive campaign that had maybe like six subsets in it. So that's six landing pages, right? Got it. Yeah. And I like that. You can have a template that has 80% and you're changing the 20% each time. Yeah. Right. MVP. Right. And you can definitely like evolve that over time. But those are things where you can get some quick wins on the board and go ahead and capture that demand that's being surfaced today that you're not like capitalizing on. Are there ways that people can do that? At, there's got to be a tool that does this at, at scale, though, right? Honestly, maybe. But like even at my biggest company, like I was at Campaign Monitor a couple of gigs before. We did it manually there, too. <laughs> so like, I don't know, maybe there is. I'd love for somebody to like ping you and let yeah. us know. <laughs> But no, it's good. I'm learning a lot just from your your thought process, your your thinking. If you're going to go and run campaigns at these, yeah, okay. So you found low hanging fruit. That makes sense. There's probably a lot of like SEO cleanup, SEM. Actually, let's talk about SEO. What was mm-hmm. your approach to SEO? Because this is something that I love talking about, but I've missed on because I've always been struggling to like grow so fast now that I've had a hard time taking you know X grand out of the budget and putting it to SEO. So what did you do with SEO? So. In the beginning, we did nothing. Let me say, for a really long time, we did nothing. Uh, probably over intentionally. Inten- mm, I don't know. I might be like you, where I'm like, let me take some learnings. I have struggled with understanding the value of SEO. So, like before Chili Piper, I worked for Campaign Monitor, where SEO was a real thing. There, there are a lot of people searching for email marketing, and that is a real need. However, when you come to somewhere like Chili Piper, there are not a lot of people searching for it. So naturally on my like list of priorities, it doesn't make the cut. And it's so much of like the companies that you and I are involved in and work around. It's like Drift, we had the same thing. We were trying to create something new. And so we didn't have an early SEO strategy around like live chat. And that was because we were intentionally trying to not be live chat. I realized that was a mistake that I made later where I could have been capturing that demand. But I think at the time you're like, or, you know, however Chili Piper talked about themselves, whether it was like, you know, inbound SDR scheduling, whatever it is. Speed to lead, like whatever it is, there's just not a lot of search volume there. And so, you know, when you're doing your initial dive through the data and you're like, wow, okay, there's like not a lot of existing demand organically. So like, let's capture what we can through paid, spin up some paid ads and like, let's move on to like greener territory. There's so many other things that are still in this like low hanging fruit category. And SEO just wasn't one of them. Like at the time I was very much of the mindset. It's like, well, if you're not selling like white t-shirts on like an e-com brand, then like, we're not going to like really see this move the needle. And we have actual goals that we have to meet tomorrow and like SEO isn't supporting that. So of course it was just me. We had limited resources. We had a content person and a PMM and that's it. So like we needed actual content to support and fuel the dimension function. And we needed our PMM to partner with us so that we could understand what's happening with the product, what was coming on the roadmap. So it was like, we don't have anybody for SEO. So it just wasn't a thing until substantially later when we had a like formal function within content marketing, a function within demand gen. And for that, my partner that was our content marketing director actually had a really solid SEO background and I did not. Mm. So I was like, skill set, you win, you get to take it. And so she actually ended up owning it and standing it up. And do you think that was the right approach? Did you learn? At the time, I feel like it was the right approach. Now, could we have fought a better, like put together a better case to get external resources to have somebody come in and start at least on the technical side for SEO? Yes. Because I will say to your point earlier about you've kind of changed your tune on like needing marketing ops, like needing a marketing ops foundation. It's kind of a similar sentiment to where we had gotten to such a point where everything was working really well, except like our technical SEO audits were just like, red flags across the board because we'd never prioritized it, nor did any of us really understand the potential impact that was actually hurting us the entire time. We just never like saw it until we had enough like budget allocated to come in and have an external party come and say, "Mm, guys, 
y'all are really doing bad here. Well, it's almost <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's just almost like you, you could like make that part of like ops, I guess, in the beginning, which is like, as part of the website, we need to revisit like SEO and technical structure and all that needs to be baked into how we do this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And you could probably just like take on, I think my learning is like, there's probably like a balance, which is like, do you need a full like gangster SEO strategy in the beginning? Maybe not, but you need like the hygiene, you know, you need to brush your teeth twice a day, you need to work out, you need to eat right. And so like, you need to, your team and your content, you should know, you should have a keyword strategy, you should be thinking about title tags and all that stuff, but you might not need like a super insane SEO strategy, right? Agree. Yeah. And I would say absolutely. Like if I could do it over again, I wish that I would have had that mindset in early days, but it was so, and maybe this is like more common than not, but it's like so easily overlooked because it is that long-term play. And at the time you're like, well, I need to meet revenue goals tomorrow. So this is also why, like, this is just a perfect, this conversation is like a perfect example of how there's so much nuance in marketing advice. And like, yes, am I on LinkedIn writing like very definitive takes about things? Like, of course. Right. But like the reality of it, and I've probably said like, you know, I, I a hundred percent would hire SEO first again. Like I'm sure that's out there somewhere, but it's just, it's so relative to like the company, your role, your budget, your time frame, pressure from your boss, this, that, what your competitors are doing. It's like, it's impossible to know. And so I think. Hey, so I created exit five to help you build a successful career in B2B marketing. First, it started off as my private podcast on Patreon, and many of you who listen to this today probably are OGs and remember that. I was talking about my lessons and learnings going from PR intern to CMO. Then it morphed into a Facebook group and quickly became one of the top resources for marketers in B2B SaaS. Today, this is a full-blown company. We have three full-time employees and ambitions to grow the team and keep building and hire more people this year. And we're investing in everything that's working, which right now is everything. It's amazing. We're making a big update to our community. We're doubling down on this podcast to serve the 5,000 people that listen every week. We're investing in our newsletter and written content to help the 16,000 people that get our emails. We're even hosting our first in-person event in September. We're building Exit 5 to help you grow your career in B2B marketing because really there's no school for B2B marketing. You can't get a degree in how to build pipeline and there isn't a playbook for how to get promoted in your career. And that's why I'm telling you right now to go and join the Exit 5 community. Go to exit5.com. You can click join right there. There's a free seven-day trial. So if you're listening to this podcast, if you are one of those 5,000 people that listen to this podcast every single week and you have not joined our community yet, go and do that. At least go and check out the seven-day free trial. You'll sign up. You'll put your credit card in, but we don't bill you until seven days. It's a seven-day free trial. And this is, this is really Dave. We really do all of this. I want to build a company that is customer friendly. And that means that if you sign up and two weeks into this thing, you realize it's not for you, you can email us and cancel. But I want you to go check it out. It's a seven-day free trial. Go to exit5.com. You can get in our community and you'll see why it's so much more than just a discussion forum. Exit5 is a B2B marketing resource that's there for you when you need it the most. When your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need you to come up with an ABM strategy for this year and you've never done that before, you go to Exit5 and you ask that question or you go and search the hundreds of posts before. Um, When you want to look for a new job but you're not ready to post about it on LinkedIn yet, you can quietly browse for open roles and see who's hiring inside of exit five or maybe you need to build a peer group of other people in your job function but linkedin is too broad to dig through you can find out who else works in product marketing in your niche or who else who else is a director in the one million dollars to ten million dollar company range you can do that inside of exit five maybe you want freelance maybe like you need to make a video in a pinch and you need recommendations for a freelance videographer that can work on your next product launch video and they're located in the u.s and within your range of budget that is why we built exit five and that's what you can go in there and do so go and check it out exit5.com start a free trial and we'll see you inside of the community it's it's like this first principles type of thinking that you're talking about which like assess the situation place some bets and let's go yeah. Yeah. It's all about placing bets. And we did not place bets on SEO in early days. So there's some learnings to be had there. But like after that, it was really understanding like, yeah, what are our biggest levers that are going to move the needle? So SEO didn't make the cut. We moved outside of Google ads onto social to try and understand like where our people hang out. Naturally, they're all on LinkedIn, which turned out to be great. We were already doing pretty well on LinkedIn in terms of just like, I don't know, I guess like guerrilla marketing, trying to grow our following. But in early days, it was all for the brand, which I also think could be interesting for us to chat about. Let's let's talk about it now. Yeah, I was going to, let's dive deep into LinkedIn anyway. So were you measuring like, 
Like, were you seeing this just as a feeling thing, like on LinkedIn with engagement? Or were you looking at like chilipiper.com and you're starting to see more referral traffic from LinkedIn? It was a little bit of both, right? So like in those early days when I was doing that like data dive, HubSpot had actually surfaced that we'd seen a lot of hand raisers that were coming from organic LinkedIn, which was wild to me because I'm coming from a world where like almost everything's driven direct response from paid. So to already see early signs when they didn't have any paid levers going that actually organic LinkedIn is doing things for us. That's when we were like, okay, well, let's capitalize on paid low-hanging fruit and then really spend a lot of time on organic social, which is wild because I'd never had a lot of passion for organic before just because it wasn't the like quick win situation. But it was like, well, it's already there, right? Like the proof is in the pudding. It's working really well and nobody's really trying. So early days, we were all in on like growing our company profile, which don't get me wrong, is still going great today. Like they are absolutely crushing it. I think when I started, one, when I started our email database was 800 humans, which was lower, like too small to even run an A-B test on email. And our social was less than that. So like 250 or 300 followers on LinkedIn which is crazy. Today, fast forward, they just hit 25,000 last month. So, I mean, that's crazy growth. And how, how do you know if that's good? It's all, this is like not going to go to any like marketing leaders, like favorite quotes list, but it's all based on qualitative feedback, <laughs> honestly. So the amount of people that come to us in a demo and say, oh my gosh, I heard about you guys on LinkedIn or I follow you on LinkedIn, your content is super helpful or whatever. All of that started getting surfaced. One, at some point in this timeline, we purchased Gong and started like implementing flags in Gong recordings to understand which phrases were like really throwing higher signals than others. And we, of course, always ask like, how you heard about us? We implemented it like on the form at some point in time too. But before we got to like validate that, we were researching Gong recordings and almost all of them were like, oh, we heard about you on social. We heard about your podcast. We follow such and so. And it just became like a huge, obvious, like, wow, this will never show up in attribution. It will never show up in reporting, like traditional reporting in a Salesforce report, but it's all over Gong. Like, this is the only thing people are referencing. So we have to do more of this. And more importantly, we have to hire people that believe in this so that we're like, I don't know, just like unlocking this exponentially with crazy growth as we're hiring more headcount. My favorite thing is to have a guest like you who can talk like this because most... Sometimes I'll ask that, like I asked that question because I 100% was hoping you would get there and, and say that. But like sometimes you ask somebody that question, they're like, yep. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, share it. Like that was amazing. Yeah. So what's interesting, something that I learned from you, even on this podcast, is almost like your approach to, it's almost like there's like a three-pronged approach to understanding where customers come from. It's like you have attribution, which is the measurable, you know, funnel conversion stuff. You have Gong, which you mentioned, which is listening to what's happening on sales calls. And then you have this third thing, which is like asking people how they heard about this. Like the simplest form, you know, you go buy a pair of sneakers online and they ask you where you heard about it. I have like in my Exit 5 community, it's like questions on the way in. You have to ask like, where'd you hear about it? I don't have a number on that, but I just know that, lick my finger, it feels like 80% of people tell me that they joined from LinkedIn. And so what I love is like, it's not this perfect thing. It's like being able to take all those, to calibrate from all those sources and be like, wow, it feels like a ton of people are coming to us from LinkedIn. Let's go. This is like, it's exactly it. It's not like your page could have 10,000 followers and you could still drive results. It could have a hundred. It could have a hundred thousand. It doesn't matter. It's like, it's this. It's like, are you feeling it on the on the other end? Are more people coming to you because yeah. of the stuff that you're doing? It's, it's not this like direct response thing. And I've seen the Chili Piper content over the years. You're just like posting links to your your webinars and like and blog posts. That's not what drove this engagement. Exactly. Exactly. And it like it has evolved so like so much over time and the closer we get that like feedback loop with our prospects and our customers and this like quote unquote community that we may have accidentally built over time it became this like inevitable flywheel that just, I hate saying flywheel, but it just happened so naturally. We were taking in like more learnings than we could reciprocate out through our content because the community was just growing faster than we expected, which is all the best problems to have. Like early days, we had no idea, right? We didn't have a podcast. There was no like sense of community. We early days weren't focused on social, right? We were doing paid for the first at least 
three to five months that I was there. So in that, it was just like grinding, figuring it out, me trying to identify like what was going to resonate with these people, what our value prop was, all those things, right? Then when we got to this point where we were really almost like building in public and being more transparent and vulnerable about like how I was using Chili Piper at Chili Piper as the Chili Piper admin, it just became this really natural cycle And honestly, it was all led by the community and these people that were following me or following our brand in like a far deeper way than anything I could have ever produced on my own, right? I think people, I mean, people say this all the time, but like the words that you like create in your little incubator alone, and then you publish them, they make no sense to the public. They're like, cool, but what does your product actually do? And so like being able to get this real-time feedback loop from prospects and customers was like undoubtedly the biggest unlock that we had. It's one of the huge... like. It's why I get frustrated when people try to measure social as this like, direct sales ROI. There are so many intangibles that you get from it, right? Yeah. And it's never going to show up in your HubSpot report or your Salesforce report. Like hang it up. Or like but because you did something on LinkedIn, you'll get an idea for some content you should go create or somebody that you should go partner with. Like Those things are harder to measure. So, okay. So you, you got paid. You got the funnel. You got paid. Organic LinkedIn really worked. Yeah. I think you have to also commit to that. It can't just be like, we try. It's got to be like, this is what we're doing. I feel like Chili Piper, I feel like you did a good job of not trying to be everywhere. So where else did you focus? Like other than LinkedIn, how did you think about, you know, what, what were maybe one or two other channels that you used to grow? So on a paid front, we'd gotten to a place, we started paid on LinkedIn and we had gotten to a place where we felt that that was pretty operationalized. Like our frequency caps were like pretty good. We could produce content in a real enough time and get it published and go through the learning cycle of the campaign phase and then get new content out before it was like completely dead or overserved. And we were like, okay, well, our audience is kind of like tapped there. Like our budget threshold is reaching our frequency cap. So we need to like expand to new channels. We ended up ex- trying to expand natively to Facebook and the B2B targeting there was just not great. So we onboarded an additional software metadata for what it's worth to be able to unlock that functionality on Facebook slash Instagram and continue to scale our paid efforts there, which was a huge unlock for us. But on the organic side, in terms of like community social, we hired a field marketer next. We didn't expand to Twitter. We tried it. We were terrible. We like can't figure out marketing Twitter. Like I'll raise my hand and say, I can't figure out marketing Twitter. Like on my personal like brand, I don't get it. So we didn't have a ton of success there. Instead of trying to spend a lot of resources on Twitter or Facebook, like organically, we went the paid route again to kind of mimic the same success that we found through LinkedIn the first time and found tons of success through paid there. Hadn't gotten to a place by the time I left where we had started really to like, try and do the same thing organically. But I would imagine that would be an okay next step once all the other like, you know, low-hanging fruit is tackled. I think in every phase we have low-hanging fruit. And so for us, instead of trying Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we went the field route instead and started standing up local events. Yeah, I, I love the approach. Like I think it's so easy to just like peanut butter an average marketing strategy across everywhere. I love that you were intentional, but like we're not doing Twitter, we're not doing X. I think... Gong is a good example of like a company in the early days that just kind of only channeled their whole content strategy into LinkedIn. And I think you see the best results when you can do that. If you have a hypothesis that like, this is kind of working, let's go all in. Like you're way better off, especially in this space. Let's really be great at LinkedIn as opposed to trying to do LinkedIn and YouTube and TikTok and Twitter and Instagram. Like just go all in on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. And it's not all going to work, right? So it's like, if you throw the same post up on another channel, it's not going to work the way it works on LinkedIn. And so instead of like grinding those gears and like starting, it almost needs to be used as like a test phase or something. Like it needs to be passed off to like a growth team or something. Also to be intentional and being like, and we're doing field, which is completely different, but we have a hypothesis about how we're going to grow revenue. And we think that the fastest way is not to just write a bunch of blog posts. Yeah. We're going to do LinkedIn or our, our organic approach is going to be through LinkedIn, through social. The way we're going to book other meetings is, is through these channels. So you do the field thing. Last, I'm going to get to Brightwheel and I want to talk about like your philosophy on taking a new job and learning mm-hmm. from second time stuff. But just last on this, let's talk about just demos. Like I say, most people listening to this they need to drive more demos, sales meetings, you know, most B2B companies, that is the goal. That's how, that's the the leading indicator for pipeline. As a multiple time demand gen leader now in, in your career, what are some of the biggest wins you found that most people missed to drive more demos on a predictable basis? 
Mm. Well, I feel like this is a softball, so I'm going to take it. Is it? Uh-huh. Great. I thought it was like, because it's not like, people don't want to just hear like, yeah, just do more on LinkedIn. But I know you'd have something more methodical than that. Yeah, no, I don't think that's the answer. I don't think that's the answer. I actually hear tons of uh, demand gen marketers and marketing leaders that come to me and say like, oh, we really believe that you know, Facebook is like an unlimited channel for us. Like we could just throw more money at it and get more out of it. Uh, and there's like nothing that makes me laugh harder than that because I feel that is very far from the truth. So no, like throwing more money at it is never my solution. I think one, like, yeah, going back to like understanding your funnel and understanding points at which you have like potential like drop points in your funnel areas to like increase conversion rates or like operationalize your handoff for whatever that means is got to be on the priority list. Once you actually start getting to a place where you have any amount of volume, like every hand raiser is precious. So like if you're losing any of them, that to me seems very mission critical, could like should be considered P0. So ironically enough at what one, two, two B2B SaaS companies that I worked at before I worked at Chili Piper, I actually had the same problem where I was like, okay, well, we don't have any more marketing budget. I can't throw more money at it. I need to figure out how to get more for what I'm actually like already surfacing on the table. That's like not getting to sales, not getting to sales quick enough, doesn't have a good customer experience once they hit our website, like all of those things, like what can I do? And I'd actually bought an admin Chili Piper at both of those companies, which is why it was a really natural fit for me to go and lead demand gen at Chili Piper. So Understanding that, and obviously this is the pain point that Chili Piper solves, but understanding all of those potential stop gaps in your funnel between the time they get to your website and raise their hand to the time they actually get to talk to not an SDR, but an actual account executive, the person that's giving them the demo they requested are all critical points, I think, that should be considered early on in the phase of growth, whether it's Chili Piper or whatever, right? I'm like not here for a sales pitch, but... What is the amount of time it's taking for your prospect to request? Like, how hard is it for them to request the demo? And how quickly can they actually get on a call with your account executive to get that demo and get them closed? Yeah. Well, I mean, also, I'm glad you went here because demand gen is not Facebook or LinkedIn, no. right? It's that's a channel, but it's ultimately like this is like peel everything away and start with like, well, what's happening today? How many meetings did we book this month? We booked 50 meetings, but 100,000 people came to our website. That's a terrible analogy, but but it's like, okay, well, then there's a huge portion of people who who have not. Why? And you, you're you actually running, like demand gen is running the exercise. It's like the, running the five whys on the funnel. Yeah. And then you're choosing like, maybe we need a chili piper. Maybe we need metadata. Maybe we need new tools and technology. Maybe we need a different this or that. I think that's where you make those decisions. How can you come in and just know what to do this month, this quarter, just go turn up Facebook. It's not that. It's demand gen owns really that that whole funnel. It's about meetings. Yeah. It's all about meetings and qualified meetings, right? So it's like, yes, demos, but like how many of those are qualified at the point of which you hand them to your sales rep? Because that'll only create like a more natural relationship and feedback loop between you and your sales team. So it's like, not only are they qualified, but also are they being held, right? Like, are we actually able to get these people on the demo in itself? Like, I don't think that that's a metric that's like highlighted enough within SaaS companes is like, yeah, like meetings booked or whatever, but like, no, 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 like meetings held, right? How many of those people actually showed up and listened to what we had to say? Because that's- It also can simplify things. Like what, if you had, it's also like one way to flip the goals almost and like reverse it. Like if you had five more meetings held this month, what would that do to revenue? And then how are you going to go make, get those five meetings? As opposed to like, it's very hard. I think when you look at like the macro and you're like, how are we going to, grow this huge number. It's like, well, so let's simplify it down. All we need is, and this is what the um, David and Leah said at Drift were awesome at just like hammering, like simplifying, like forget all this. Is, we need 20 more demos. We need 20 more meetings held this month. How are we going to get there? Yep, exactly. Exactly. And understanding like your drivetrain to get there, like what things must be true in order for us to meet whatever your ultimate North Star is, hopefully revenue this month. And like, yeah, think about it on a really like tactical level. Because if you take a step back and you're like, oh my gosh, we have to grow revenue 300% this year. You're never going to get there. Okay, sorry. This is a different question, but I need to come back to this because I want to ask you that. Now a demand gen person who really believes in organic and social and and building brand, you've seen that. Question that I get from a lot of demand gen people, though, when I talk about this stuff is like, well, you know, we got a lot to do already. How do we how do we also prioritize this? How do we get extra budget for this? Who's going to own this? But I know that you see it as part of what you do and you work across the team. So can you talk about how you how those are not separate things? It drives me nuts when people are like, well, how do we do this on LinkedIn and hit the number? Can you talk about how they work together? 
Yeah. So I think it's super interesting, actually. I come from a digital marketing background, which I guess was like the older version of the demand gen title five years ago, seven years ago. And so I really was only focused on paid. My background is really in paid, which is like almost always why I start there because that's where I'm most comfortable. And back in the day, organic was like its own thing, like almost always housed under a different function entirely, which is such a weird way of thinking. Um, So I think this is just part of that evolution of just like questioning the status quo, where actually you should think of your organic channels and your paid channels more as one of the same than of like two different functions. I don't know at what point in evolution those things got broken out to be considered two very separate levers. But really, you should leverage paid as like a way to ensure that whatever content you were going to put out organically is for sure being delivered to the audience you want to make sure sees it. And then by way, those people will be, oh my gosh, this content from such and so is really valuable. Like, I need to go follow their page so that I can see it every time they post. Da, da, da. Like, I mean, it should just be like one lever that you move yeah. together. It also feeds like, separate. it also can feed the, like so much of demand gen is, uh, yes, Dimension kind of like runs the funnel, but so much of it is dependent on assets from other teams, right? Yeah. A deck, a landing page, a this or creative, a video. Like I remember doing webinars at Drift, for example, and we would take clips from our webinars and you can use that as creative for the ad, right? Like, you know, we could send this video to Metadata. They sponsored the podcast. We could send them this video. They could cut out the clip and Chili Piper could do the same thing. They could cut out the clip from this podcast and that would probably be amazing ad creative. Or like, you're always thinking about like, what creative will work for conversion? Well, if you're pumping out content on social, you're going to have a better finger on the pulse of like, what content might work on paid? I think they exactly. have to work together. It's the same, right? It's one and the same, right? Because it's like, we should be testing things like with your quote unquote community that you've built, your followers on organic channels at the same time, testing things that are maybe like radically different through paid so that those two things are really like funnel fed. One feeds the other all the time. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's more important that like if you have your organic social manager or organic channel manager, whatever they're called today, living outside of your demand gen function, I would question that. Like, I think that they should be one in the same. Yeah, but just because they live in demand gen doesn't mean that they can post demand geny things. The goal has to be to understand the channel. What's going to grow this? Yeah, but if you're led... Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. But I think if you're led by a demand gen leader or whatever... Yeah, if it was you, if it has to be... Yeah, if, sure. Yes, if, if the demand gen leader gets it, it's like, oh, the way to grow organic social is to not... I, I just, I see a lot of bad stuff and it's like, oh, the demand gen leader thinks that the way to grow is by posting webinar links, you know, and, and that type of stuff. If you take this strategy and you understand how social works, 100%. Yeah. Okay, I got more things to ask you. Thank you for doing this. This is awesome. You're a great podcast guest, by the way. <laughs> Thanks. Just because I like don't understand when to stop talking. No, because you talk, because you actually talk. And like, I don't just want it to be like, next question. Like, I like when people have opinions and, and like take, you know, I don't have to ask you a question for you to, to, to wow. say something. All right, let's talk about Brightwheel. Why did you join? Well, actually, I'm trying to think of something that's really relevant to everybody. Not so much why did you join, but now you've seen a bunch of different companies. You have the opportunity to take another job. What do you go and look for as a future CMO or whatever you want to be? Yeah, I think that's a good a good way to phrase it. I think when I'm when I was looking for a new opportunity and trying to understand, to be fair, I wasn't exactly looking, but LinkedIn's crazy these days. I'm sure everybody feels that. Um, hold on, hold on. You here. don't have to couch this. This is for everybody who's listening out here is works in marketing. And even if they're so happy at their job, you're always going to get messages from people. And so I think it's just, let, let's be real. We can tell them it's okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So not couching things that you look for at your new company. One leadership, understanding like who you're going to report to, how they think and operate. What is their, what is their background? Do they have something that you like? I mean, obviously you need to make this move for your own career too, right? Do they have something they've done in their past or believe in strongly or have been really good at that you could learn from, find energy in, get joy from all of those things. Um, it's like, what does your leadership crew look like? Yeah. What is the okay. mission? This is a better way to frame this. By the way, this is not even like, hey, why did you leave Chili Piper? This is more just like so many people in like the Exit 5 community and our space are like, how do I evaluate the opportunity? That's the way to frame this. So, okay. So you go in, you first is leadership. Sorry, then go ahead. Yeah. First is leadership and understanding like what your leadership panel looks like, who you're going to get exposure to, who you're going to get to work with. 
Second is like the mission, especially in marketing. My very first gig out of college, I was trying to do marketing for a healthcare company. And let me say that was short-lived because it's super weird to try and do marketing for a healthcare company. For me, at least like, hey, when you're sick, come join our hospital. That didn't work. So you have to feel really connected to the mission and whatever you're going to try and be marketing or else it's going to come off as very inauthentic because you're not connected to what you're trying to convince people is the better way, the new way, the solution, whatever the thing is. So leadership, mission, And for me, it's also just about disruption. Like how disruptive can this category or this software or solution really be for whatever sector or whatever industry that you're joining? Like, do they have a definitive stance that's Mm. questioning the status quo in some way and has real potential to propel or unlock a major solution? Yeah, nice. I'm glad you said that. It's like, you got to know what you're working with. Does this company have... I mean, Chili Piper had that, right? And then, and then yeah. you go another company, Drift had that, Privy had that. I think com- that is, it's so much easier when you don't have to make that up. If you can like channel that and this company has a strong point of view. So what was that with um, Brightwheel? Yeah, so for Brightwheel, it's crazy. For whatever it's worth on a personal note, I've got two little girls that are in the early education phase of their life. So pre-kindergarten. And I feel this very much as a parent. I can only imagine how it's felt as a teacher or an administrator or a center director. But the space of early education is so far behind, especially when it comes to adopting technology. So I think just because of the phase of life I'm in on a personal note, this opportunity really spoke to me at Brightwheel. Pen and paper is where it's at today for centers, preschools, monastery schools, whatever it is. They're all still doing things on pen and paper, which is wild. What in the world? So like as a parent, you're like picking them up at the end of the day and you're getting just like this packet of paperwork um, and you're like, you know, still paying bills through check or whatever they'll accept. Some schools are doing things on Venmo, which seems super weird and sketch. So it's wild that everything is very disjointed and not connected. And so Brightwell is obviously a solution that brings everything together for your child care management, but also more importantly, like allows these teachers to spend more time with your children, which is what they want to be doing in the first place and not managing all these disparate systems. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you can't, it's obviously that that's something that you feel and it's so much easier when you can do marketing for a thing that you, that you yeah. know about. I always say like, I would be the worst marketer for like a dev tools company or cybersecurity, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it really matters. You don't, you're not an expert in this industry, but you have an opinion, you know, you can know what to say, I guess it makes it easier. Yeah, I agree. And what's the marketing team like at uh, Brightwheel? Yeah. 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 So at Brightwheel, I actually report to our COO who comes from a marketing background. So in like a former life, she was the VP of marketing at Masterclass. Oh, cool. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it's super cool. She's got an econ background a little bit too, but great leader, has done some really awesome things in her career. So it speaks to the point a minute ago about who's your leadership team? Who are you going to get an opportunity to work with? What can you learn from them? That My COO here, I was super excited to have the opportunity to work with her. So that was a huge like selling point for me. But we've got myself on the demand gen function. We've got a content marketing function. And then we've got a PMM function. So very similar to what we had at Chili Piper, which also made sense to me at the time, makes sense to me now. It's a structure I'm really familiar with and like is good for this stage of growth. So Brightwell's a little bit further ahead. They're a series C, but in terms of marketing structure, there are 10 of us today, which is very much so the same stage that I left at Chili Piper. That's a fun team size and stage. How do you manage up? Ooh, what a good question. Um, I think for me, proactive comms are huge. So getting ahead of any kind of situation, proactively communicating this, like the TLDR, no matter like if it's good, bad, or ugly, communicating that up is always key, like here or anywhere, honestly. It lets them know that like, you know what's up and you've got your shit and they there's like no need for them to like come over into you and, you know, monitor you or check in and make sure you're doing great. So just making sure that you're like proactively communicating has honestly always been like my key to successfully managing up. A hundred percent high five through Zoom because a hundred percent. It's like that you framed it exactly right. It's like the point of doing that is be like, look, I got my shit together. You don't need to know every detail, but as a COO or whatever, you start to be like, well, this seems really nobody's, this is a black box. This is a black box. Like <laughs> David at Drift was always say, this is a, to me, like this is a black box. And I realized <laughs> because I'm not showing him that I understand this by communicating at that level. And so you're like, look, here's all the stuff that you need about X below TLDR. This happened. This is what we're doing about it. They're never actually going to look into that chart because they're like, oh, this is very clear that she's got this. Exactly. And then to like a plus one to that, if you have a good peer set, so like here, we have a really great functional leader on the sales team. He and I meet regularly. We slack way more regularly than that. 
And he is really great at managing up to his leader too. So that's great because when he manages up to the CSO and they chat obviously all the time, that's great. Then she's also hearing by way of him that like, oh, Kaylee said this, that, and the other. So it just helps create this sense of like, hey, we understand maybe this thing that's like broken or like not going great. It's like less than ideal, but we're on it. So like all good. No worries here. Yeah. Okay. This hurts me to do it, but we have to stop because <laughs> I don't have a real job. So I could talk to you for hours and I, I would be down to that, but you have a real job and you should go do it. I do. <laughs> Kaylee, thank you so much. This is awesome. I made a note. I really, we should do this more often. We can have you on every every now and then and just riff. Let's do it. I'm down for it. And I honestly like draw a lot of like excitement from just like chatting about things that work and don't work. So I'm down. Okay. Kaylee Edmondson, she's on LinkedIn. Don't you go to Twitter because she doesn't believe in Twitter. I can't figure LinkedIn. it out, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> go to LinkedIn. She's Kaylee Edmondson. Kaylee, thank you so much for doing this. Everybody else at home, on a walk, on a run, vacuuming, doing whatever you're doing, putting your kids in the car. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 Podcast. Kaylee, you're awesome. I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Exit 5 Podcast. If you're in B2B marketing and you want to grow your career, you should also go and check out everything that we have over at Exit5.com. We've got articles, we've got videos, we've got templates. Plus, we have a community, a community of over 4,000 B2B marketing pros. Whether you're deep in your career and want to connect with your peers or just starting up and you want a place to go where you can see what people are talking about, get smarter about B2B marketing in your own time to grow your career and help grow your company, go and check it out. It's exit5.com. You can get on the email list there. You can join the community. There's 4,000 marketers in the community. We have a job board. We're always adding new stuff. It's really becoming the number one place you can go if you want to grow your career and learn more about B2B marketing outside of what you're doing inside of your company every day. So check it out, exit5.com. And I also want to make sure I give a shout out to my friends at Hatch. That's hatch.fm. They produce this podcast. It sounds amazing because of the work that they do. And they work with B2B companies just like yours. They offer unlimited podcast editing and strategy for businesses. You can get unlimited podcast editing and on-demand strategy for a low monthly cost. All you got to do is just upload your episode and they take care of the rest. Go and check them out. It's hatch.fm. Hey, it's Dave. This episode of the Exit 5 podcast is brought to you by Apollo.io. If you share a pipeline goal with your sales team, then you care about the deliverability rate of your team's outbound emails. No email visibility means no meetings. This is the silent nightmare for us marketers. We often don't even know that this is happening. And the most common cause of it, it's actually an easy one to fix. You're not using the right tool. That's why hundreds of marketers at companies like Mutiny are switching to Apollo.io. Apollo has every tool you need to power your entire outbound and inbound motions. Yep, that's right. I said inbound emails too. You can see how Ashby does it right now on Apollo's site. Marketers using Apollo have seen email deliverability jump from 62% to 98% after making the switch. 98%, that means more replies, more meetings, and of course, more pipeline. Want to see what type of results you can get? Head over right now to apollo.io slash exit5 and start using it completely free. That's apollo.io slash exit5. You can start using the tool completely free. You don't even need a credit card to get started. Go and check them out. apollo.io slash exit5.